What is going on, Chiefs Kingdom? You are here on the Coach's Corner. I am Justin. I'm joined, as always, by my man, Caleb. Caleb, what's going on? Not too much, man. It's the first day of June. It kind of feels like summer is here. I hope everybody's staying safe out there because the world is going absolutely crazy right now. That is a fact. Um, hopefully this brings a little bit of a, a shining light, a little bit of a break from what's going on in the inside world because we got a jam-packed episode. Um, so let's get right into it. Last week we talked about offensive newcomers to the Chiefs and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Lucas Nyang. And today we're going to talk about some um, defensive newcomers. And we're going to start out with their second-round pick, and that's Willie Gay Jr. out of Mississippi State, who is a phenomenal athletic linebacker that the Chiefs drafted. Yeah, and you don't even have to look at his combine numbers, which are off the charts, by the way, to tell this guy is a freak. I know he runs the 4-4-6, and I know he has the 11-3 broad jump, but when you turn on the film and you see this guy running around the field, you can see all those athletic traits translate to on-field performance, and I think the best game I watched him play on film, and it's a game I had a lot of clips on when I did my initial review, was his 2018 matchup versus the University of Alabama. He had nine tackles, two sacks, and an interception that game. He was flying all over the field, and he was sacking Tua Tungalavoa one-on-one in the backfield, who at the time was still healthy, still able to move around. So he's an absolutely a fluid athlete. He makes plays, and he can hit when he gets to the ball now. Yeah, and just to kind of put those combine numbers in perspective, he's 243 pounds, jumping 11-3 and running a 4-4-6. Jerry Judy, the receiver that was just drafted out of Alabama, he ran a 4-4-5. So that tells you kind of the kind of athlete that Willie Gay is. Um, you know, interestingly enough, we we had been playing on this podcast for, you know, a week or so now. And right before we jumped on, I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw that James Palmer put up a one of his videos that he and he was actually talking about Willie Gay. And they talked about um, him actually coming in and fitting in as as the Sam linebacker for this Steve Spagnola defense. Now, obviously, the Chiefs, they lost Reggie Ragland um, in free agency to Detroit. So they're going to have to replace him. And they bring back Damian Wilson and Anthony Hitchens. Uh, I think that the outside, either the Sam or the Will, is obviously the best fit for him. But he, like you said, he's so, he's such an athletic guy. He's so good in coverage. His athleticism and his coverage is exactly what this defense needed. Arguments can be made that he could excel at both the Sam and the Will backer. Why could he excel at the Sam backer? Because well, I don't know. There's that highlight versus Louisville. And you see him, he spots the rudder and goes and lays an absolute shot on the sideline. But when this guy can also get ahead of Steve, like we saw in some of these blitzes, because he did a lot of blitzing when they were at Mississippi State, they love to bring him on front side pressure. And they love to have him crash through the offensive line. Because number one, he's big and strong enough to take on the offensive lineman. Number two, a lot of the time he's quick enough just to blow past them. So I think they absolutely love having that him as that strong backer and run support. Because he's a guy that is going to be able to help. He's going to be able to stand up right away against them. Now, he has some things to work on. He Sometimes on the lateral type runs or runs to the opposite side of the field, he takes some poor angles. That's something that can be worked out in time and coaching. But what I think the Chiefs would like to see from him in a Sam backer 
would be more of just that instinctual downhill player going to run in between the A and the B gap and wrap somebody up and make a tackle. And likewise, if he were to go out and play the will, I think he converts that athletic ability and he has the interception production also in his career to be able to say, yeah, we can put this guy in coverage. He can sit there and play the zone. He can play man on running backs, which the Chiefs have been missing. And he has the chance to come in here and succeed right away. He might actually be, along with uh, Clyde, he might be the Chiefs' defensive rookie that is able to shine the most in his first season in Kansas City. Can't agree. Can't agree more. He he's somebody the same thing. I watched on film and I saw a lot of that same stuff you were seeing. He's somebody that in coverage you can see the fluidity. He can get sideline to sideline. He gets in good spots when he's in zone coverage. He's able to run with tight ends and running backs. It's a, it's a very unique skill set that he's able to bring to the table that they they truthfully have been missing. Ben Neiman is a guy I like. He does a great job on special teams. But the fact of the matter is he's not the answer, right? When they put in their nickel and dime packages, he's somebody that can stay on the field and he can make those type of plays. And to your point, I thought that, you know, everybody talks about his coverage ability, but I think one of his more underrated skills is his ability to rush the passer. They sent him on quite a few blitzes and he is an intimidating dude for for a running back to block one-on-one, right? He's so strong, he can run through you. He's quick enough, he can run around you. So he's very disruptive in the backfield. And that's something that I think that they're going to utilize very often in, in Coach Bagnola's defense. Yeah, that is going back to that. That is one of the more underrated aspects of his game. And hey, Steve Spagnola, as he's proven in his one season, he's not afraid to dial up a blitzer time or two. I don't think he's going to have any problem plugging in Gay Jr. onto the strong side and letting him run after the passers. Now, back to the Chiefs' other linebackers, though, because you have Anthony Hitchens. He's a classic middle linebacker. And uh, Damian Wilson, he's kind of proven he could be that jack of all traits, but master of none for all the backers. So I think depending on how well Gay plays as the Sam or the Will will pretty much set him and Wilson's rotation. But I do expect Willie Gay Jr. to be a day one starter somewhere in the linebacker rotation. I would agree with that. He's he's going to come in, and they're going to want him to play right away. As long as he's picking up the scheme and, and getting those things down, he's going to find the field one way or another. Um, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that he did have a couple character concerns coming out of Mississippi State. There were some rumors about um, some different violations as far as academic policies with a tutor, and he also had an incident with – a player before a game, he he actually got an altercation with their starting quarterback. Didn't get suspended. He played that game, even though the altercation happened. But the Chiefs seems to they did their homework. You know, Veach is a guy that's going to dig deep on all that stuff. He they've taken chances before. You know, Coach Reed has Marcus Peters didn't have the most stellar reputation coming out of college either. But I think that the locker room so solid in Kansas City that the very few character concerns that there might be they're going to be mitigated right away you know Anthony Hitchens is, is a captain for a reason and he's going to be in the linebacker room with him every single day absolutely I couldn't agree more and he's also got Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew to show him things if Chiefs get in trouble it's going to be off the field there's not going to be any divide in the locker room there's not going to be any sort of 
fault within the actual system Andy Reid and his coaches are trying to run him. That's not how they operate. and That's not how it goes. But Andy Reid's also a man of second chances. Yeah, you're a guy that's had some issues in the past or maybe a player who hasn't proven they can be everything they could. Well, come on to Kansas City. You're going to be able to see exactly what you can be when you get into the right atmosphere and into the family atmosphere. 100% agree. You know, so along with Willie Gay, they also added another player into their front seven, and that is Michael Dana out of, or Dana, Michael Dana or Dana, I'm not even sure, out of Michigan. Um, six foot two, 260 pounds. He actually was a transfer out of central Michigan and then went to Michigan. He, he's, a, he's an interesting guy to me. He is kind of came out of nowhere and everybody, when they drafted him they were they were saying who? So this was an interesting pick to me. This is not a guy I've watched a lot of film on leading up to the draft, much as I don't think a lot of people have because he played at central Michigan for three years. And then he went to a big school, big power five school, Michigan in the Big Ten. While he's there, he is playing as an interior defensive lineman on a majority of his reps, which is quite interesting because Mike Dana is six foot two, 260 pounds. And when he was at Central Michigan, he played primarily as an edge rusher, which is where I think he'll benefit the Chiefs. But he has career production between the two schools. He has 17 and a half career sacks, but his junior season at Central Michigan, his best collegiate season, he had nine and a half sacks. So he definitely has the career production where I think the Chiefs have drafted him to want to play him as an edge and not so much as an interior where we saw him in his last season at Michigan. He really was. You could tell he was totally out of place at Michigan. And it, it might have been something that they just knew he was such a good player. They wanted to, to get on the field. He, you know, he's so solid in everything he does as far as technique wise, you know, and I, I was watching him and I was like, I, I've seen this type of player. He reminded me someone and is actually someone on the Kansas City Chiefs roster that he reminded me of. And that's Damone Harris, which is if he, he was a kind of a guy that came on late in the year. And I I wanted to know how much he played and wanted to see where the games he played the most because I wanted to take a look at his film to see the kind of the comparison there. And he actually played 65% of the snaps against Denver in Week 15, 32% of the snaps against Chicago, 51% of the snaps against the Chargers. And then even shockingly to me, he played 45% of the snaps in Houston in the playoffs and then 21% of the snaps in Tennessee. So there's a guy that kind of joined late and ended up getting significant reps. And while he wasn't a tremendous player, he was solid, right? He was solid against the run. He had maybe one solid pass rush move. He wasn't super quick. He wasn't super strong, but he was just solid in his technique, and he was a solid player. Yeah, going back to Damone Harris for just a second, the one game I remember him specifically making a big impact in was against the New England Patriots, one of his first games as a member of the Chiefs, if I'm not mistaken, in which early in the game he had a couple of big run stuffs. And now looking forward to Michael Dana, I expect that he'll be a guy that's going to come in and they want to play him as a run-down backer. Because you take a look at him on film with his technique and everything like that. Does not have impressive burst off the line of scrimmage. He's never going to be a guy that wins with speed and quickness or length on the edge, being that he is only six foot two, two sixty. 
where he's beaten guys at in pass coverage in pass or in pass rush as well as in the ground game is he uses superior technique and he has outstanding effort in the pass game he's a big let me run at you with some power and then go into a then go into a rip move or a swim move to get around the tackle or get that shoulder beat on the outside edge of the tackle and do that and in the run game I have seen some clips of him playing as a backside defensive end. He does not allow the tackles to wash him down in the hole. He competes on zone runs to the opposite side of the field very hard. And also I've seen him take on lead blocks to where he's not giving up any penetration because he's using outstanding leverage in that game. He is an outstanding technician, but one of the things that I think is more impressive not only about his high technique level of play, is his high effort level of play. This is a guy who is running around the football and making plays. His last game, his last game is a member of Central Michigan. I believe he had, yeah, he had 10 total tackles and one forced fumble. And on some of these tackles, you see him running 10 yards down the field, whether it may be. Now, he wasn't on the field enough to be able to make that much of a dramatic impact against the competition while he was at Michigan. But one of his sacks at Michigan stood out to me, and that was the uh, sack he had versus the University of Iowa, lined up inside at a three technique. It was a long play. The quarterback, uh, whoever was playing quarterback, I believe it was uh, – Whoever Iowa's quarterback was at the time, I was going to say Shea Patterson, but he plays for Michigan. I forgot who it was, but he's back there. It's a long developing play. Some would consider it a coverage sack, but what some people would say is a coverage sack. I see a guy that's been fighting a double team for five plus seconds, maybe more, and still has the motor and still has the energy to drag the quarterback down for a loss on the play. And that kind of reminded me of the Frank Clark play against the Texans when Watson is running back and forth, back and forth, and everyone's missing, and Clark's diving and on the ground and getting back up, that's winning football right there, guys. If he can translate that level of technique and heart, when he gets with Brendan Daly, good things are going to happen for him in Kansas City. And that's the key thing, too, is Daly Daly's going to max out his talent and, and his, his skill set. And the same thing with Spagnola. He's going to put him in a position to be successful. And that's one of the things that I think that – you know, you look at Coach Spagnuolo that he's done his entire coaching career along the front, right? He's found ways to get pressure with those guys up front from his days when he was with the Giants, winning Super Bowls against the undefeated Patriots. He's gonna he's gonna create stunts, and I I remember that sack you're talking about for for Dana. He literally was felt like forever trying to get to the quarterback, and it just relentless effort got him there and finally got him that sack. It was it was definitely impressive to see the kind of effort that he gave gave on a consistent basis having 10 tackles as a defensive end that's that's not super normal I'll tell you that much that that takes a lot of effort to be able to do that and get in on that many plays so he's definitely somebody that I'm interested to kind of see where they'll go along the front because they got you know like I said Demoni Harris is a guy you mentioned right away his first game with New England he's coming in and making plays so what you know where does that rotation go obviously they lost with Agba in the in the offseason but they're going to get Okafor back. They're going to get Speaks back, who will probably play on the the inside where he seems like a better fit at that three technique. Um, but they're going to need some defensive end rotation. So he's a guy that definitely has a chance to come in and make a splash if he if he shows up. 
Yep, and here's the thing. I think whoever the Chiefs are able to get Brendan Daly on the field, he'll be able to max out their potential. The first person that comes to my mind when I think of helping max out potential is Tano Passanio because he did just come off of his best season in the NFL, and he was on the field for very crucial reps. And in the Super Bowl, there's a clip of him busting through a double team on an outside run and turning the running back back inside for, uh, I believe, Hitchens to come back in and make the tackle there. That's the kind of stuff, because we never saw any flashes like that from Tano. Now, he might have been out of position, but we've never seen flash like that from now. Now he started to show some flash in his game. And same way with guys like Damone Harris. There's going to be some good competition in this camp for all the spots, man. I mean, that's what it's all about when they get up this level. At times, the Chiefs struggled to rush the passer from the end spot last year, you know, and Clark was hurt. Okafor's not going to be a double-digit sack guy for a team by any means. So I think they like being able to mix up that rotation on the outside because they know the interior of the defensive line is set. Those guys are solid across the board. But if they can keep putting pressure on teams with different bodies and different play types, like maybe we'll see Mike Dana and Damone Harrison on some rundowns and then maybe see Okafor or Tano get to go opposite side of Frank Clark for some rundowns. We might even get to see some interesting formations by Smags, Spags and some nickel looks where maybe possibly they have Dana, Harris, K-Pass playing inside and maybe have someone even faster on the outside than them. Mind you, Tim Ward is still on the roster, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the whole edge situation goes. But all in all, I think they're setting up for some great battles in camp. And that's the thing. Competition always breeds greatness. And speaking of competition, there's going to be some competition in the Chiefs' secondary this year. Right, so they they bring in multiple players at this defensive back spot where everybody kind of was thinking they're going to either pick somebody up in free agency, they're going to draft somebody early. That's not the route they went. They didn't select a corner until the fourth round when they took Legarius Sneed out of Louisiana Tech. They didn't bring in a free agent until late, and the guy that they signed was Bashaw Brigland, who was there before. Now. We're in an interesting situation because it came out. Breland had some issues, um, legal issues that we're going to have to kind of see how those play out. But then on top of that, it comes out that he's got a four game suspension right away that everybody knew about, which kind of tells you why people were waiting to sign him. So they're, they're already got, you know, Javarius Ward is going to start on, on the one side and he's been solid. His, his progression has been quite something to watch, but that other side is going to be wide open. And Sam Madison, who is their defensive backs coach, talked about that competition. He mentioned a couple of those guys that they brought in. So Antonio Hamilton is another free agent that they ended up signing from the New York Giants that will compete on the outside. And that's along with Legereus Need, who they drafted, along with Bo Pete Keys, who is out of Tulane that they drafted, and along with Rashad Fenton, who are the, who they are bringing back. Let's start with Legereus Need, right? So he was the first guy they took, six foot. 192 pounds, 43740, 10-11 broad jump. He's an athletic guy. Where do you see him and what did you see from him on film, Caleb? Well, I think he's a bigger player. I think he has good instincts across the field and I think when he settles down, 
and is able to play one position in the NFL instead of just bouncing around from defensive backs at Louisiana Tech, I think he's going to have a very successful time playing corner because I think he's exactly what Steve Spagnuolo likes in the corner. He's a long, physical corner who can play well in man coverage and who likes to tip the ball and break passes up. So I think that the way he plays is a good fit for the Chiefs. I just don't – I'm always a little hesitant about maybe throwing a rookie corner out there, but we have started to see what type of bad defensive back Spags wants in Kansas City, his prototype for what he wants in like being his number one and number two corners is become very clear now. Yeah, it definitely has long athletic and that's what, you know, I'm going to talk about Legereus Sneed and I'm going to talk about Antonio Hamilton in kind of the same breath because they, they actually remind me a lot of the, of each other. They're kind of the same player in the sense that they both have great end to end speed, straight line speed. Um, I think Sneed's a little bit more fluid in his hips where he can be a little bit more sticky to guys in man coverage. Um, Antonio Hamilton gets gets a little has a little bit of issues in, in guys that are very sudden at the receiver, and by that I mean they're able to get in and out of the breaks very quickly. He has a little bit of issue with that of dropping his hips and putting his foot in the ground and, and planning like on a comeback. Um, for example, you know, and, and Hamilton is somebody that hasn't really played a ton of corner in the NFL. I had to watch the last game. Um, of this past year when he's with the Giants against the Eagles, and that was really his only game he played at corner. He's really known for for being a special teams ace. He is a he is a phenomenal gunner on the special teams on punt team, um, but corner he really doesn't have a ton of experience. So I, I found it very interesting that Sam Madison talked about him competing right away. As far as Snead is concerned, I think his best asset is his ball skills. He looks like a receiver at times out there when the ball is in the air. He has a knack for it. He's got soft hands. He makes interceptions. He had six interceptions his junior um, and senior year combined. He had eight combined for his career. He had a ton of pass breakups. Um, it was really impressive to see his ball skills. And I, and it's funny, I was thinking that watching film, and then I read a quote that said that he actually wanted to play receiver when he first came to college. So it made a lot of sense to me that he had such great, great ball skills. Um so I'm interested to see. I actually think that I don't know if it will be right away, but I think that we're definitely going to see Snead in some some situations where he's playing pretty early. And, you know, we lose a guy like Kendall Fuller, and Snead has experience at, at corner or at safety a little bit as well. So they like to they like to mix it up with Fuller from, you know, rotating and, you know, look making it look like you're lining up as a down safety, then all of a sudden you're rotating and you're playing a, you know, a too high safety. Um, and I think he's got that kind of versatility to fit right, right in with that scheme. Yep. I agree a hundred percent and backtracking just a second to what Sam Madison mentioned about Antonio and Hamilton. Antonio Hamilton does have one thing on these guys and that is experience in the NFL playing quarterback. I mean, I think there's been over the course of football history, plenty of guys that have made or broke their career as being rookie cornerbacks, which are guys that quarterbacks know they're going to target right away. So that's one of the things that I've been thinking about with this whole thing. Now, like we said, Hamilton, he's going to be a better special teamer. Sneed is probably going to be a better corner overall at the end of his career, but it'll be interesting to see how it all starts out. There's been one guy on my mind, though, this entire time that we mustn't leave out of any conversation for who's going to be 
and the any corner or DB rotation for the Chiefs this year, and that's Rashad Fenton, who was on the field at the end of last season in big reps in the Super Bowl, and he's a guy who I think that the Chiefs love his versatility. I think he's going to be a guy that can play like – he. I think he's the guy that's going to take on Fuller's role from last year, the guy that can kind of play like that deep slot and rotate over and then play man on the outside. I think he might end up being the Chiefs' jack-of-all-trades in the DB room this year for the corners. Yeah, Fenton is somebody that I, I was really interested in taking a very close look at because I I remember him coming in and playing significant reps and getting a lot of that stuff and seeing that versatility. And he's somebody that I going into film when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to really like what I see on Phil Hill. I remember him being physical and aggressive and stuff. And the one thing that kind of just kept sticking out to me is I don't know how athletic he is. He doesn't seem like a guy that jumps out on film with his athleticism, but he plays smart and he plays tough. And I think he's reliable. So, you know, those are guys that you're going to be able to step in right away and start the season with. It's over time. I think that these rookies, like a Sneed, when he gets into it, when he gets the the hang of the scheme and stuff like that, he's a guy that I would I would think would end up taking that job over just because of his athleticism. It's so impressive to watch um, when he's when he's playing corner. And then you know another guy that the Chiefs drafted is Bo Pete Keys out of Tulane. Tulane, you know, Coach Veach or Brett Veach, general manager Brett Veach, couldn't handle not making a trade, so he ended up. Everybody thinks the Chiefs are done. They trade back into the seventh round to get this guy, and I think it was a very smart decision because he's somebody that would not have lasted long being an undrafted free agent if he would have been drafted or if he would have been a free agent at all because I think he was going to get drafted by somebody in that seventh round. He's another guy, six foot, 202 pounds, 10 foot six broad jump, you know, another athletic guy, and he's got phenomenal feet. His thing is he's got very, very, very quick feet, but you can still see He's, he, he started football late from everything I've read on him. So he's still kind of learning how to play that trans or play that position. He's learning how to transition in and out of break, breaks when he's covering receivers. But I think he's got the athleticism and the feet to be able to do that in the long run. Yeah, I agree 100% on that analysis of him. I think that there this is a no, really a no lose situation to trade back it up end of the draft to get him. I mean, he's a seventh round draft pick. If he turns out and he ends up being a guy that can contribute for four years, it looks like a really smart move. If he ends up playing one season getting cut, oh, well, he's a seventh round draft pick. But there was going to be a bidding war for him. The interest was out there to bring in another corner. It's today's NFL. Teams want to throw the ball every play. So you can never have enough talented, quick guys in the backfield that are also physical enough to break up passes and can play the ball. But I do like that a guy like him started playing football a little bit later because I think that just overall goes to show he's more of a blank canvas for Spags and Madison to mold and kind of work how they want to and turn him into their vision, their player. He's a seventh round draft pick. He may never turn into a starter. You know what? That'll be fine. If he can find a way to contribute on special teams, come in on a few sub packages and keep ready for his entire career. I think that he's going to be a guy that they could may possibly rely on in the future for depth purposes. Yeah, for sure. 
And, you know, the DB situation, they also brought in, so they, it's kind of, I actually just wrote an article about this in this situation that Kansas City has been kind of putting out there is that they kind of have gone with like a patchwork defensive back, especially at the corner position over the past few years. And they're, they're moving forward with that. So they brought it in, uh, you know, a multiple undrafted free agent guys as well. One of them is Lavert Hill out of Michigan who you watch on film, you can see why he was undrafted. He tends to get kind of grabby. He played a ton of man for Don Brown's defensive scheme in Michigan. Um, but he gets grabby, kind of slow, not super athletic. I would be surprised if he was anything more than a practice squad guy. But the guy that I need to talk to you about, that I'm going to bang the drum on for, I don't understand how he wasn't drafted, is Javaris Davis. He's out of Auburn. He's only five foot eight, 183 pounds. But he ran a 4-3-9, he had a 10-4 broad jump, and the guy can play. I, I, li- I turn on the film of him, and I'm just, I'm watching him like, how was this guy not drafted? I actually even tweeted it out because I have no, I was hoping somebody was going to answer me, saying, oh, he had some off-the-field issues people were concerned about and say, oh, okay, that makes sense, you know. So I'm looking up everywhere trying to figure out, you know, what other people are seeing about this guy, to, to, thinking I'm crazy if I'm missing something when I'm watching him. And I looked at, uh, I am I'm, have a subscription to The Athletic, and Dane Brugler puts out this um, thing called The Beast every year for the NFL draft. So I'm looking to see what grade he had on him. And he actually had a fifth-round grade on him. So I think that I'm going to call my shot right now. I'm going to say not only does Javaris Davis make the, make the roster, I'm going to say by the end of the year he is playing multiple snaps in the nickel in the slot for this team. It's something I can definitely see myself just knowing how the Chiefs like to play their defensive back structure and rotation. Admittedly, I've not watched a ton of film on Javaris Davis. Maybe some NFL teams, the reason that he fell so far in into not being drafted has to do with that height tag and that uh, weight tag that goes with him. Because, you know, he doesn't really look like the kind of guy Steve Spaggs has had playing. Now, could that be potentially become a factor if he gets matched up on bigger players? Yes. Do I think that Steve Spagnola and the defensive staff will allow him to be in a position where a bigger player might be able to catch on him? No. Do I think that he's going to be a guy that can come in and compete? Yes. And if he's a guy who came in undrafted and starts the season on the practice squad and slowly but surely elevates his way up. In some instances, that could kind of remind you of Charvarius Ward's transition from just like a no-name trade piece for the Chiefs to a guy that sat all season to a guy that comes in in late 2018 and is playing meaningful reps by the end of it. That could be something I would maybe watch out for with him And if you can play, you can play. Like you go back to Fenton saying he's not the greatest athlete in the world. That's fine. I know we love talking about how athletic guys are. We love saying how well we could coach and mold them. But the bottom line is in the NFL, you can be the greatest athlete in the world. But if you can't play it down to football, you're going to become very exposed very quickly. If you can play, you're going to find a role somewhere doing something. Hundred percent agree there, and I'm telling you right now, if you want to go watch one play of Javaris Davis and be impressed, he has an interception against Arkansas. 
and he returns it for a touchdown. And when he's returning it, he looks like he's a punt returner. He is bouncing around, making guys miss, and he finds a way to the end zone. And that, to me right there, I was like, I'm sold. I, I love the guy. Willie Gay immediately was one of my draft crushes. Amick Robertson, Lajarius Sneed was one of my draft crushes. And I'll say after watching Jarvarius Davis, he he was a guy that if I would have watched him before, he he's a draft crush. I I think he's gonna be a great player. Maybe not great. I'm but he will make this team. He will make this team and he will play impactful snaps this year. I'm calling my shot on that one. But this has been fun, man. We're we're getting to that mark where we gotta let people out of here. Um why don't you tell everybody what you got coming up for Arrowhead Live? and where they can find you on Twitter. All right, guys. So you can find me on Twitter at CJ Scoobs. Um, my piece on how Andy Reid's motion plays impact how defenses end up playing against the Chiefs has been a little bit slow to get going on it, but I'm going to hope to try to have it out by later this week. Um, also, uh, my next edition of the GMKC is coming out this week, and I'm going to examine – more in closely in depth how the chiefs will plan to use Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And as we talked about on the show last week, I've kind of been riding that momentum on my thoughts on him, on how the chiefs could potentially change the way people see the running back role in the NFL forever. This, this era in the upcoming season. So that'll be out Friday morning. Thanks for everyone that read the article on Nile and why tackles matter last week. Uh, Justin, what do you got coming up, man? Yeah, so actually tomorrow I got an article coming out about talking about who might be the most improved NFL team this season. And then later in the week, I'm going to actually talk about Antonio Brown. So that should be an interesting one that you're definitely not going to want to miss. You can find me on Twitter, jdiz1617. Guys, we appreciate you being with us. Keep downloading, keep listening, keep subscribing. Um, you know, we do this because we love it and we appreciate everybody being here. This is a lot of fun to talk football with you. As always, Caleb, Chiefs Kingdom, we'll talk to you soon.